Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Once again, it's always a pleasure to be here with you and to share the message of God with brothers and sisters. I just want to make one quick comment that I'm going to do as much as I can, but it's possible that I may go a little over time. But I'm going to see how I can stay within the time. So we start with this message, and the title we have is A Focus on Shepherding in the Ecclesia. And you can add past, present, and the future. Just as we read in the scripture reading in Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, and I'm going to bore you by reading quite a big chunk of that scripture again. So if we would turn back again to Ezekiel, chapter 34, And I would read verses 11 to 16, and then I'll skip to 22 to 24. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep. So will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they are scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I would feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Verse 22. Therefore, I will save 
my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I would establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. Brethren, you can see a similar scripture of a promise of a David, a future David, a future shepherd, also in Jeremiah 23, 3. I'm not going to turn there. So you can look that up. And Ezekiel 37, 25, sorry, 23 to 25. Ezekiel 37, 23 to 25. And the first, the other was Jeremiah 23, verse 3. In reading this scripture that we just finished reading in Ezekiel, we see an end game as envisioned through the eyes, the prophetic eyes of Ezekiel. And then we see the end game that he saw or foresaw fulfilled as foreseen by John. So even though it has not been fulfilled, the vision of the fulfillment of Ezekiel's vision, we know it in Revelation. And so if we will quickly turn to Revelation chapter 7, and let's pick up what we find in Revelation 7. Um, let's see, well, let's try picking up from 14. Revelation 7, we see the ceiling of the 144,000. After that, we see the innumerable multitude from verse 9. And so, let's speak it from the 9. Let's take it from nine. Just set the stage there. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribe, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Okay, now, so now let's go to 14. So there is some interaction. We can take it from 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, 
These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor fast any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. If you have a translation that doesn't say and will shepherd them, it probably will say will rule them. Anybody with a, a scripture that says rule them? Everybody has shepherd them? Okay. So, we see that shepherd promise out of the root of David. This is the lamb that becomes the shepherd. Yeshua the Christ. Who eventually is going to be the shepherd of God's people. We can look at this in Revelation 12 when the man-child was being born, we knew that this man-child, which is Jesus Christ, is going to rule. We see that. We also see that in Revelation 19, when we know that at the end, we go to see Christ ruling the nations. So, the end game that I, um, Ezekiel saw it's fulfilled in Revelation. So we have shepherding promised that God said he's going to raise that shepherd like David and he's going to do the job of shepherding. And we see that happening at the end of the day. So when we focus in on shepherding in the ecclesia, and if you want to look at the future aspect of it, that is where we see it, that there is a promise made that there's going to be David ruling again. And of course, we know that that is in reference to Jesus Christ. Now, we have seen the shepherding that Christ would do in Revelation. And of course, you would remember that we would be alongside him, doing the shepherding with him. He's coming. He'll be the king of kings and a shepherd king at that. And we will be reigning, ruling, shepherding with him. And our part, you can look at that in Revelation 2.27, that we would sit and be ruling. That word is shepherding as well with Yeshua the Christ. So our part is cut out in, in that context. 
So, as I said, this is the future of shepherding among God's people. Christ himself will shepherd the flock of God as the good shepherd king. Brethren, how do we understand this shepherding? How do we understand the job of a shepherd? And I'm not going to try to even explain it. The scripture that we read it said a lot of things about what the shepherd is supposed to do. And if you want more, and there is more, then I'll refer you to my brother who did that split sermon on that day with me. And he that did that um, excellent explanation of the shepherd's uh, work, which is still on the um, C.J. Burlington archive. So that's an excellent presentation to understand the ins and outs of of taking care of sheep, the shepherding. But if we look back, cast your mind back, if we look back, would you be referring to the prophets as the shepherds in Israel? Or would you be considering the priests and the Levites as the shepherds of Israel? Or would you be thinking that the kings of Israel were the shepherds? What do you think? In fact, the scriptural evidence from the past, the scriptural evidence in the old covenant point to the fact that the civil leaders, the rulers, the kings, were predominantly the persons who were identified as the shepherds of Israel. How do we know this? Because it's in the scriptures. So I'm going to give you these scriptures, and I will try to run through some of them, probably not all of them. We know that Moses was a shepherd. Not a shepherd because he kept sheep of um, his father-in-law, but a shepherd for the people of God. Isaiah 63, particularly 10 to 12. Isaiah 63, 10 to 12. And by extension, the 70 elders that were doing the same work with Moses and the other delegated authority to um, the leaders of thousands and hundreds, they're all in the business of shepherding. We also know that Joshua was a shepherd of God's people. And we can look at that from Numbers 27, 15 to 17. Numbers 27, 15 to 27. We also know that in passing, the word of God identified the many judges that God raised to lead the people of Israel as shepherds. And we can find that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 7 to 11. 2 Samuel chapter 7, 7 to 11. And without argument, 
we know that David was a shepherd in both ways. A shepherd of sheep and a shepherd of people. And we can find that in 2 Samuel 5, 2. If we want more scriptures, there's more scriptures about that, please. We just want to establish that point. So 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. We know that when Ahab was reigning as king, he was identified as a shepherd. It was a bad one, but he was a shepherd. And that's 1 Kings 22, verse 17. 1 Kings 22, verse 17. And there are other even non-Israelite kings that were also identified as shepherds. For example, God used Cyrus. And God identified Cyrus, a king, as a shepherd. Isaiah 44, 28. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. And even when God was going to exact judgment on the Assyrian king, God identified through the prophet the Assyrian king as a shepherd. And that is Nahum, or Nahum, chapter 3, verse 18. And there are other shepherds that are not necessarily named that we can also find, especially the shepherds that um, God was talking about in Ezekiel 34 were not necessarily named. We can reference them to um, uh, the, the reigning order at that time, but they were not necessarily named. So, brethren, in Isaiah 63:11, that is Moses, it says, I have it open, um, uh, written here, but that one is one that is kind of a little bit, if you don't pick the context. So let's, let's read that in context. So Isaiah 63. Okay, so we have the 63rd chapter of Isaiah. And I'm going to read it from 9. And it said, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of the presence saved them. And in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy. And he fought against them. Then, verse 11, then he remembered the days of old. Moses and his people saying, where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put the Holy Spirit within them? Who led them by the right hand of Moses? So, 
the shepherd that is being referred here who led the people as it's finished, Moses who led them, he led the people as a shepherd. And so, by extension, of course, the people are identified as God's sheep. So Moses being recognized as a shepherd, Moses was a leader of God's people. And when Moses knew that his time was fading away and somebody has to take over from him, that is when he said this in Numbers 27 that we have already mentioned. So now I'm just giving the reading. Numbers 27, 16 to 17. And when I read from 15... And Moses spoke unto Yahweh, saying, Let Yahweh, the God of the Spirit of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who may go out before them, and who may come in before them, and who may lead them out, and who may bring them in that the congregation of Yahweh be not as sheep without no shepherd. So Moses is praying God to bring another man to continue the job of shepherding that he has been doing. And the language he's using is that, I don't want a situation where your sheep is going to be without a shepherd. So give us another shepherd. And we know that is what we are referring to Joshua. Because Joshua is the one that is being prayed for necessarily. As I said, we will not read. I've given the scriptures, but I'm just pointing. And we know, as for David, nobody's going to argue that. Because in Second Samuel 5.2, God says, In time past, when Saul was king over us, it was thou that, is, that led out and brought in Israel. Just like he's referring to um, Joshua. You take them out, you bring them in. And Yahweh said to thee, Thou shalt be shepherd of my people Israel. And thou shalt be prince over Israel. You're going to be a shepherd and a ruler over Israel. That was said about David. Ahab, when Ahab was ruling, and we know there was a very wicked king with his wife, did a lot of torment in Israel. And this is what we know at the time of Ahab, First Kings twenty two seventeen, just to establish that point. And he said, at the time when Ahab was ruling, I saw all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, These have no master, no leader. Let them return every man to his own house in peace. Even at the time when Ahab was ruling, Ahab was supposed to be a shepherd. But because of his wickedness and the way he is taking the people before God, it's like no shepherd. And that's what God is establishing here. That I see my people 
It's like I don't have anybody leading them because this leadership is not what I ask for. Brethren, we can go on and on. As for Cyrus, you can read it, but quickly, Cyrus, um, Isaiah 44, 28, that says, that said of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. This is Yahweh speaking. Cyrus is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. When God used even a king that was not of Israel, God saw that king rulership as a shepherding rulership. And even the one that he was going to destroy, or he was judging, the Assyrian, Nahum 3.18, he said, Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria, Thy nobles are at rest. Thy people are scattered upon the mountains. And there's none to gather them. So, the, the understanding in Israel and even the surrounding places around them was that the kings, the rulers, they are the people that are shepherds. So, that is how we would understand shepherding in the past. We saw the kings were the ones providing shepherding to the people. With all these scriptural backgrounds, we can confirm, hopefully, that the civil and the political leadership were those referred to as shepherds. Brethren, we see that the future is very beautiful when we just saw the promise and the vision of the fulfillment between Ezekiel and John in Revelation, it means the future of shepherding is very beautiful because it's, it's going to be beautiful. But we know that the past was kind of missed bad. Some people did well, some people did, some people did very terrible. But if you put it on a broader scale, it was really terrible in terms of shepherding in Israel. And so the judgment that we heard in the years, oh, sorry, in, in, from the month of Ezekiel. Ezekiel started chapter 34 with a very severe warning to shepherds. He warned shepherds sternly and said, you eat my sheep, you benefit from them and you don't take care of them. And when he had said that, that's why he jumped into now, okay. I'm going to do it myself. If it is, this is how bad you are performing, then I need to shepherd my people. And that's where we started from. That God said he will shepherd his sheep himself. And that in the very end, he's going to appoint someone like David to lead the people of God. So, that history of bad shepherding, it kept going and going and going. By the time Christ came on the scene, was born, became old, and began his ministry, 
by the way, it was the result of bad shepherding that put Israel in the very position that they were in at the time of Christ's birth. And so when Christ came and he took stock, Matthew 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when Christ, he, Christ, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were Helpless, harassed, hopeless. Because of what? Because they were like sheep without shepherd. So Christ came on the scene and the bad leadership from the past has continued all the way to the point where now he sees Israel in front of him. He said, no. It's not supposed to be. Look at them. Where is the shepherd? Can't find the shepherd. They're like sheep. Everybody knocking their own door. Everybody doing their own thing. There is no shepherding going on. But the interesting thing and the very promising thing was Christ step up and say, I am the good shepherd. John 10. John chapter 10, verse 11. John chapter 10, verse 11. Christ stepped up. And he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacked the flock and scattered it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And Christ repeats, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of the sheepfold or pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. When it's all over, there's still going to be Christ at the end in Revelation. There's going to be one shepherd and the sheep is going to be one fold. Everybody will walk into the sheepfold. Brethren, do you think that if a shepherd is prepared like Jesus Christ did to lay down his life for his sheep, 
even one out of hundred. Even one out of hundred. If the shepherd will lay down his life, even for one out of hundred, in order to save that lost sheep. Because I, remember, I, I, I hope we remember um, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep. When it's like the shepherd took stock, and out of the hundred sheep, one was gone, missing. Ninety-nine save in the fold, one gone. What happened? The Bible says the shepherd stepped out. The valley, the hills, everywhere looking for that one sheep. Because it is important to the shepherd, Jesus Christ, that not one will be lost. Not one will be lost. So do you think that this shepherd will go all this length? To save even one out of hundred. Trust me, these days I think if we have 99 out of hundred, we'll be just happy. We got 99 people in, in the congregation. Why bother? If she doesn't want to come, well, leave her alone. I'll leave me alone. That's how it works. You 99, you are here. I got you. What is important is to go out there and reach out and do everything. Including laying down my life. It's like one for one. Christ will go and die, lost one, just to gain one. Kind of not make sense. But we're talking about the zeal to go after the lost sheep. So do you think, once again, that Christ will go this full length? To save even one out of hundred. And then, now he's gone. He's gone back to heaven. We know that. And then when he is leaving, the sheep is still here. And then he leaves the sheep like that. He just leaves the sheep like that and says, Well, I did what I, w- I could do. Now I'm leaving. Sheep, take care of yourself. I'll be back. Is that what you think Christ would do? To save all these sheep and then leave them just like that to their own devices and just go. Take a vacation. No. So that is where we are going to focus on the present. So we've seen the past of shepherding. We know what it's going to be like in the future. What about now? Now that Christ is not here, What about now? Would he just leave and forsake the sheep? No, he wouldn't do that. And he didn't do that. You start seeing the interaction that Jesus Christ had with Peter. In John 21. Specifically, 15 to 17. I won't turn there. But Christ made Peter feel so sorry by that interaction. Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? That's our Lord 
I love you. Feed my sheep. Son of Jonah, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Why? Why are you asking? You're not sure? I love you. Feed my sheep. And I get so worse. So, Peter, son of Jonas, do you love me? And Peter said, why? You doubting me? I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Christ started establishing that firmly in their psyche. That there's a job at hand. I'm not going to leave this sheep like that. We need to establish the shepherding again. Feed. Take care. That feeding is not a feeding of... Throw food in somebody's mouth. It's a feeding of shepherding. It's the language to say, shepherd my sheep. Take care of them. Be like me. Watch over them. So that is what Christ started imprinting in the mind of his disciple and through um, Peter in this case. And then didn't take long and he was gone. Now he's done the good thing. He's led by example. He's put it in your charge. He's gone. And to confirm that it's not mere mouth talk. He sent gifts to the community. Gifts to the people that are left. And among the gifts is the gift of shepherding. So in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, we read that before that when Christ left and he went up, he sent gifts. And then we know that one of the gifts, one of the functions, one of the roles that he put in the body was that some people should become shepherds. And he gave some to be apostles and some to be evangelists and some to be prophets and some to be shepherds. Because we can't have the people without shepherd anymore. This was clearly understood. Clearly understood. And it plays out in the rendering and the account of the book of Acts. Particularly in Acts 20, 28 when it talks about taking care of the flock of whom you'll be made overseers to have that oversight. So brethren, at this point, we have also have the lived experience with the elders that we have become accustomed to who their work is to provide oversight 
and to be shepherds of the flock, just like we saw among the early elders. So I want to reemphasize that shepherding is, listen carefully, it's a kingly or kingship or rulership function. Shepherding. It's a rulership function. It's a kingship. It's not just, you see, we could be coming here and say, okay, the shepherd, um, it's, it's a spiritual thing. And so if it's not, um, well, all our life, it should be spiritual anyways. So we divide our life into, this is our spiritual thing, these are physical things. And when I come to the congregation, then um, it's the shepherds now when i leave then and then that's over no israel doesn't live like that israel israel lived under god their whole life is patterned under the commandments statutes and judgments and the administrators of the commandments statutes and judgment are the shepherds So I just want to emphasize that shepherding, it's not a light function. It's not light. We don't have to slight it or think it's just some mere little function over there. What I said might be a statement that might irk somebody to hear, but we need to stay true to scriptures. Have you ever thought about a community of people, of believers, that we call ourselves a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, and we have laws with us, but are no administrators of the law. This is the law. I mean, everybody just obey the law. Yes, everybody has to obey the law. But in the scheme of things, the law has to be administered. Why, how, how, where are we going to get a judgment from? If there are no administrators. Judgments? Because there are judgments that are set beforehand. And there are judgments that come up. That we didn't have it. And how are you going to get that judgment? If there are no administrators. So. The overseers of the community, the shepherds of the community, they administrate the law and order both in spiritual and physical life. If you want to pattern it into two, they are responsible. Interestingly, we seem very content and happy. To subject ourselves to every ordinance of men. But we don't want to. And when I say we, I'm talking about us big and bigger community. We don't want to submit to the ordinance of God. We've got bosses at work. We don't question that authority. 
We all got a prime minister here. We don't throw him out. We all got a mayor here. We got a premier here. We don't kick against them. But when we enter the house of God, we want to kick against the authority that God set up there. Think about it. And that is supposed to be the righteous authority. But we kick against it. And we say every manner of things against it. So brethren, there is shepherding, there is rulership, there is authority in the house of God. And we have to be mindful of that. So, how do we react? How do we make connection with the, the, the shepherd among us? And I've said, they are the overseers, they are the rulers, they are the shepherds, whichever way you want to call it. But keep in mind that shepherding is a ruling function. And in, in actually in the book of Romans, when he talks about the gifts, he said, those who rule, they should do it with diligence. That's a ruling function. But before we get into thoughts of, and, and things that might say, hey, you, what, are, what are you trying to promote here? What are you trying to set up here? What kind of autocracy you want to bring into this community? Brethren, calm down. Because the kind of rulership that I'm talking about is different. And let me tell you what it is not. In Matthew 20, 25. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Listen to our master talking. Jesus Christ. I have it already printed here, so... uh, just give you a couple of seconds to get there. Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called them, the disciples, unto him and said, You know the princes of the heathen exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. He says, that's not supposed to be like ours. That is not how we exercise ruling in, among the people of God. It's not a domineering. And Peter, 1 Peter 5.3. Peter also chipped in by saying, talking to the elders, well, let's look at it. Peter, First Peter 5, 3. First Peter 5, 3. So it's a 3, but I'm going to pick it from 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder 
and a witness of the sovereign of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, three, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter is setting the standards here and saying, the shepherding that we're talking about, the ruling that we're talking about, the leading that we're talking about, the directing that we're talking about, the guidance that we're talking about, it's not a lording over them. So, if you hear the word rule, and don't take me to Trudeau, or take me to Trump, or take me to somebody ruling. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about leading the flock, directing them, guiding them, watching over them, caring for them. That is what we're talking about. So none of these couple of situations that we talk about, that's not capturing the rulership that we're talking about. But Christ said, if there's one of us who really want to be the, the one who you want to be on top of everybody and all that, Christ said, well, Truly, I wouldn't say it's a bad idea. It's good. But the way to get there is to get down and serve them. So you can be great. But you got to go down and get your greatness from down there. Serving, untying shoes, washing foot, and all that. Doing everything that is not a master's job. And that will send you into greatness. So our kind of ruling is totally counterculture. It's different. And let me also say that the people that are our elders, and in this case referring to the organization that we associate with, Church of God International. We have there's a document that I would really encourage you to find it on the online and read. Did God put authority and rule in the church? Did God put authority and rule in the church? And the answer to that question is yes. But I encourage everybody to find this document and read it. It's a such a good, good, balanced document that you need to read it. And you will realize that there's nobody in CGI leadership that thinks that they want to lord it over the people. Because the things that they say in the document, it's not about a person who wants to lord it over 
because otherwise they would have given all their tricks away. Because after reading, and you know how not to be lauded over. So, what I'm saying is that the ruling that is there is not for lordship. It's not for domineering. It's not for being autocrat over people's lives. So, how do we relate to the shepherds? Three things, quickly. All from the book of Hebrews, the last chapter. Chapter 13. And we'll read quickly verses 7, 17, and 24. Hebrews 13. And I read 7, 17, 24. One, that is verse 7. It says, Remember them that have the rule over you. So we're not talking those who are domineering you. We're talking about those who are leading and directing, those who are caring, those who are shepherding. Remember them that have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. They stand in the truth, whose faith follow. Hmm. We're being asked to follow the faith of the shepherds. Of course, yes. Because if you're a sheep and you're not following the shepherd, then where do you want to go? Follow their faith. Considering the end of their conversation, that's the most important. Check them out. Where are they going? What's the end of their conversation? One, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That should be the end of their conversation. That's verse 8. So if you're following them, you're following them because you know the end of their conversation. And that is Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. The next thing we are entrust, um, asked to, 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 to take note of with respect to our shepherds is obey them that have the rule over you. Obey them and submit yourself. Those are two big things. At least one will make us struggle. And to have the two, that is a big problem. If you don't have the right spirit to obey, obey, obey the shepherd. And to submit to the shepherd. Those are not easy concepts. Obey and submit. Why? Because you know. They watch over your soul. If you were the one that is lost and this shepherd is going all the land to go and get you, you know this shepherd is looking for you and your interest. Why would you not obey? Why would you not submit? Why would you not follow the guidance? Why would you not say, oh, I know. 
you have my back. And they watch over the souls because they have to give an account. They have to give an account. And who are they going to account to? Because there's a chief shepherd. Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd is coming. And when the chief shepherd comes, the under shepherds are going to appear before the chief shepherd and give an account of how well they did in watching over the souls of the flock. And so, in order that we will make their work a joy and not grieve over it, so that it will be profitable for us. Because if your shepherd is grieving, doing everything, guess what? You lose. Because he doesn't do it well. He can do it well. Because he's always grudging. So it's in your own interest that you make his work easier. And the last one, uh, Hebrews 13, 24, it says, salute them that have the rule over you. Salute them. And this is not a military command that you give and say, no, that's not what. This is felicitation. This is relationship. Would you be able to go to your shepherd and say, hi, uh, our brothers in Toronto said, they miss you and they would love to see you. Like, do you, would you be able to have that? Um, interaction and free kind of thing with with your shepherd. That's what I pick from here. You you should be able to go and 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 send greetings, warm, share affection and felicitation. That means you, brother and sister, and brother and brother. So the writer of Hebrews set this brilliant tone for the relationship that should exist between the sheep and the shepherds, the rulers. It sets a relationship based on submission, obedience, showing concern about their welfare as we remember them, showing affection towards them as we exchange that pleasantries with them. But that's not all. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 19. 1 Timothy 17 to 19. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 19. And this is what Paul says, writing to Timothy. As a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and a partaker of, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not reading 
this, this we've read this before. This is Timothy. Um, sorry, this is um, Peter. So First Timothy five seventeen. Let, let's take it from here. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Let the elders, the shepherds, the rulers, the overseers, the leading people, let us count them being worthy of honor number one, honor number two, double honor. But brethren, have you thought about how to give a double honor? Do you know how you would do it? Young people, can you conceptualize this? Uh, I mean, can you operationalize this into how, 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 do you, how do you give you a double honor? You're supposed to honor one another. Do you know how you can double honor somebody? Two hearts instead of one. That's nice. <laughs> you see, Paul is not talking about one honor, two honors. No. Double honor, honor number one, everybody got the same thing. Everybody got the same honor. You got to honor me. I got to honor you. I got to honor the shepherd. The shepherd, I got to honor me. One honor, everybody. You can make honor a best honor and a worst honor. Honor is honor. You got to honor me. I got to honor you. Everybody got that same honor. But they got one more. Compensation. I don't know why they don't choose simple English and, and write it. Compensation. We got to compensate the shepherd. How do you know? Let's keep reading. Verse 18. You are honoring them double because for the scripture said, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that tread out the corn. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. So who is the laborer in this context? The elder, the shepherd. So you are honoring him double. Because he deserved to be compensated. And this compensation is not if you want to. Because it is situated in law of our nation. Our law says if you have an ox that is treading... You don't muzzle it and say, you don't eat. You just go and work. And if you have a laborer, he doesn't do all the work and he say, oh, okay, sit down. No, it's illegal. And so we need to express that second honor, that make them get the double honor. Why not? Because if you don't, we all got to leave, right? You leave. So the elder or the shepherd also got to leave. 
And how do we all live? We all know where we go to live. So you also go and find something to do and work. And the more the elder the shepherd works, the less benefit you get. Is God stupid? And say, one tribe, don't do nothing. Not that they're not going to do anything. Don't go to farm. Don't do anything. Just stay home. Stay in the temple. Do this work. But I'm going to pay you. How am I going to pay you? Those who are working, they're going to pay you. To make you live there. So the principle is well established. But if we don't follow, then uh, the work would be difficult and the work will not be accomplished. Last um, um, verse, verse 19, it says, Against an elder, the, the shepherds, receive not an accusation. But before two or three witnesses, this is for us, sheep. Don't start pointing fingers at your shepherds because you think that he's doing something wrong. That's not how it works. The Bible says you can't do that. You can't accuse an elder except there is strong evidence Based on two or three witnesses. If you don't have that, zip up. Keep quiet. Stay quiet until that evidence is there. Don't let us be too quick. I'm not saying that you look at wrongdoing and let wrongdoing fester and get worse. But here we're talking about accusation. Accusation. And we know how accusation works. In the wilder WW world, somebody makes an accusation, whether it's true or not, somebody gets zapped. That cannot happen in the community. You don't just entertain that kind of thing. Maybe the media will say we're covering their shoppers, but God is covering them because it's got to be based on something, substance. People of God, I wanted to go further, but this promise I'll make. God willing, if I ever get the opportunity to come here again, we'll continue. So I'm going to leave it here But there's a side that I want to present to balance this. And that side is still talking to the sheep and saying, please, there are some things that are dangerous. If we do it, we will destroy the shepherds. So as sheep, let's be mindful of these things. But we will not be able to do it today. So God willing, when we meet again, I promise, if the circumstances permit, we will do that.
God be with you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.